let's do this. Welcome to another episode of the Zach Kroll Sports Podcast on this Tuesday, September 28th. And we are here today to talk all of the football. So many great games on this past weekend slate. So many things to talk about. So many crazy results. And I really look forward to doing that with you guys here on today's episode of the Zach Kroll Sports Podcast. I wanted to say thank you guys for listening. I love talking about football. There is no better time of year for me than talking about all of the NFL teams, all of the NFL games that went on. We have rookie quarterbacks struggling. We have teams out here making statements. We have coaches coming up with good game plans and poor game plans, and we are going to talk about it all on today's episode of the Zach Kroll Sports Podcast. Jimmy Garoppolo, Trey Lance, and everything going on in San Francisco, they had a devastating loss to the Packers. We'll get into that. The Chiefs and the Chargers, we'll get into that. Even some discussion about the Los Angeles Rams, and if they are, right now, the best team in the NFL, along with the same way we start every Tuesday episode of the Zach Kroll Sports Podcast with my 10 takeaways of the week. I can't wait to discuss it all with you guys. Before I start, if you guys want to get in contact with me, I have a feeling that over the next couple of episodes, we're going to have a mailbag episode or two. I love hearing from you guys, getting some questions, and there's nothing better than talking football with you guys. If you want to get in contact with me, Instagram, Z-A-C underscore K-R-U-L-L, Twitter at Z-K-R-U-L-L-3, and the YouTube, Z-A-C-H-R-Y-K-R-U-L-L. Every segment of this podcast will be posted right to the YouTube channel. I wanted to say thank you guys for listening. I hope everyone is enjoying the start to this football season. And without further ado, let's do it. Let's talk some football here on the Zach Kroll Sports Podcast. We will be starting off this episode of the Zach Kroll Sports Podcast the same way we start every episode of of the ZKSP, and that is with my 10 main takeaways of the week throughout an NFL week. You guys know there's so many games that go on. There's so many things to talk about. It's obviously hard to give you guys 10, but without further ado, boys, hit the music. It is time for Zach's 10 takeaways of the week. Takeaway number one. It was hard for me as a football fan, really not to be just super impressed with the job the Los Angeles Rams were able to do by not only beating Tampa Bay, but they beat them pretty easily. I know the final score was 34 to 24, but I was just so impressed with the intensity Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford brought to this game from start to finish. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the defending Super Bowl champions, and They are one of the best teams in the league. They absolutely are. However, that's what made yesterday's result, for me, just that more impressive. That the Rams were able to really just dominate that game from start to finish. I feel like there are very few teams in the NFL that would have been able to do that against such a good team like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Matthew Stafford is a clear quarterback advantage over Jared Goff, and we're seeing what happens when you combine the elite talent of a coach like McVay with a quarterback like Stafford, and the Rams ceiling right now 
is Super Bowl champions. Now that they have a quarterback that could rescue the team if they aren't necessarily playing their best football, I feel like we knew what Jared Goff was after a couple years of just watching him, and now we know for sure Matthew Stafford is just a huge, huge upgrade. The Rams are a team to watch. Takeaway number two, there's nothing better than when the one o'clock slate, especially during the witching hour, just goes absolutely bonkers. And I really think that's what we saw in week three during the one o'clock hour. And how about Justin Tucker making a 66-yard field goal at the buzzer to lift the Baltimore Ravens, a team that, let's face it, has probably gone through more than any other team in the NFL so far this season in terms of adversity. I said it before the season starts. I still can't believe or know how it's possible for a team to lose two players, and not only just two random players, but two good players in Gus Edwards and Marcus Peters, back-to-back plays in practice, and both of them tear their ACL? That's just something I've never heard of before, and I was so impressed with the way Baltimore, even though they didn't play their best game, they still find a way to win. Lamar Jackson is a winner, hitting the 4th and 19 to set up the Justin Tucker field goal, even when Hollywood Brown was out here just dropping touchdown after touchdown after touchdown, and Justin Tucker, he's a Hall of Famer. I got a question a couple weeks ago, is Justin Tucker worth a second round pick in a trade? And I think the answer is yes. Having a kicker like that, that is able to just make clutch kick after clutch kick when you need him the most, and keep in mind, Justin Tucker is the guy who only a couple years ago, it feels like, kicked a 61-yard field goal in Detroit on a Monday night football game to give the Ravens the victory, and he does the same thing, just absolutely breaking the hearts of Detroit Lion fans, and the Ravens are certainly a team with flaws, but you can never count out Coach Harbaugh, you can never count out Lamar Jackson, and I feel like the Ravens, even in a tough AFC and a tough AFC North, they always find a way to win. Takeaway number three, it's been a tough start to the season for these rookie quarterbacks. And I think that was highlighted on Sunday when we watched not only Justin Fields, I feel like that's going to be the main quarterback that everyone is going to talk about considering just how inept the Chicago Bears offensive game plan was. And there was another offensive game plan not named Chicago that we're going to get into a little bit later in this segment. But when you have a rookie quarterback, right? I understand the argument sometimes like, oh, they aren't ready to play and they have to learn the whole playbook. No, that's nonsense to me. The main responsibility for you when you have a young quarterback is to put them in the best position to succeed. Because I do believe long term, it is the best thing for your team as long as your quarterback is somewhat ready to just put them out there right away, get as much tape on them as possible, and just give them the opportunity to learn from their mistakes. Here's the problem, though. In Jacksonville, in New York, in Chicago, and dare I say even in New England, but I feel like sometimes a lot of us are just a little bit afraid to criticize Bill Belichick, but let's face the facts. He hasn't done a great job surrounding the quarterback position with talent and drafting over the last couple of years. Like, these quarterbacks just don't have a chance because their game plan sucked and they don't have talent around them and the situation is just terrible. It is so hard to ask young quarterbacks to come into the league right away and just be able to save their team. It really makes what Justin Herbert 
uh, did last year with the Los Angeles Chargers even more impressive when he was out here throwing for 35 touchdowns, 10 picks, and winning offensive rookie of the year. It really just shows what he was able to do was just super, super impressive because of the way that he was able to come in right away to a tough NFL game and be able to get the job done. Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, I just feel like it's a little bit unfair for me to declare official narratives on these guys. Even Justin Fields as well, I get it was one game, just because the situations they were in were just so bad, and they really weren't given a fair shot, in my opinion. Takeaway number four, there was a young quarterback that actually played really well on Sunday, whose situation was less than ideal, and it still is less than ideal, and that is Joe Burrow of the Cincinnati Bengals, and the Bengals were able to go into Heinz Field and get the victory over the Steelers. I'm not going to lie. This Ben Roethlisberger, Matt Canada, Mike Tomlin combination, it's not looking great. Ben Roethlisberger might just be done. I'm watching this guy, and it's clear that especially with this Steelers offensive line, I don't want it to make it seem like this is all his fault, but the Pittsburgh Steelers, their offensive line is one of the worst units in the league. And last year it was bad, but at least Ben Roethlisberger had guys on that unit that he's trusted before and he's played with before, like Pouncey, Villanueva, DeCastro. It was clear that those guys weren't at the top of their game last year and they were less than ideal. They weren't great, but Ben knew what they were about. Now he's playing with guys he doesn't trust. And the Steelers' offense couldn't do anything against the Cincinnati Bengals on Sunday. The Steelers have now lost three consecutive games at Heinz Field, dating back to their playoff loss against Cleveland last year. The Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger own the Bengals, especially at home. They own the Browns, especially at home. And they even lost to the Bengals last year on Monday Night Football. They lost to Ryan Finley. Think about that for a second. The Steelers lost to Ryan Finley. And I think this team... As good as their defense is, and I get T.J. Watt didn't play in this game, if he does, especially against the less-than-ideal Bengals offensive line, he probably makes a play or two. But the Bengals were just the better team. And if you're the Steelers, considering who is coming up on the schedule, Green Bay and Denver, you're not feeling great about your chances going forward. I think the Steelers are in big, big trouble. Takeaway number five. We previously hinted at it when it came to the uh, Chargers and just the whole game going on with uh, Justin Herbert and how great he's been playing. But I wanted to talk about the AFC West. Very slowly, this is turning into one of the better divisions in football. And Denver, they beat the Jets. I get it, it's the Jets. But they go to 3-0. The Raiders, a team that, let's face it, they've been a team that has had a habit of blowing games recently. They found a way to beat a Miami Dolphin team that we saw last year in a close game, they weren't able to beat. And I feel like when it comes to the AFC West, you're looking at the standings, you're seeing that Kansas City right now is actually in last place with a record of one and two. This is a strong division. And Justin Herbert going into Arrowhead Stadium, playing the best game of his career. And that's saying something because we know what Justin Herbert has been able to do throughout his career. It's one of the more impressive starts I've ever seen a quarterback have to a career in NFL history. But the Chargers go into Arrowhead and find a way to win. The Broncos, I get it. They're, the teams that they've played have a combined record of 0-9. But they passed the eye test. They look like a good football team to me. And the Raiders are playing well. A lot of the hype 
this season was about the NFC West and just how good of a division that is. And I totally understand the West in the NFC has lived up to the hype. But the AFC West might just be as good, if not better. I was so impressed with the way Justin Herbert went into Arrowhead Stadium and won it for the Chargers. We'll see what Teddy Bridgewater could go could do going forward for the Denver Broncos. Their schedule is tough, but Denver is a team to watch going forward as well. The AFC West right now looks like they may get three to four playoff teams. That's impressive. I don't think a lot of people would have predicted that to happen before the season started. Takeaway number six. You know who is a disgrace? The New York Giants. I mean, you cannot lose to the Atlanta Falcons like that. On Eli Manning Day, at home, all of the stars are in the building, and you lose to the Falcons. And here's the frustrating part about the Giants, right? I feel like going into the season, there was a lot of pressure on Daniel Jones. The common narrative was, if Daniel Jones doesn't have a great season, he could be in trouble. And we know that Dave Gettleman is connected to that pick. That is one of the bigger moves that he has made so far during his tenure as GM of the New York Giants. But here's the crazy thing. The Giants are 0-3, and Daniel Jones hasn't been a world beater. He had an opportunity to lead the Giants uh, down the field and get them the victory over the Falcons when they scored the game-tying touchdown to even things up at 14. But he couldn't do that. But he's not the problem. The thing is, he's been playing fine, and the Giants still can't win against the easier part of the schedule. The Jets in New York have been terrible, too. I don't know what is going on in New York football, but the Jets aren't competitive. The Giants can't even beat the teams they're supposed to beat. They lose just back-to-back heartbreaking games when they had so many opportunities to close this game. That's been the common theme with the Giants. Even though they're 0-3, they could easily be 2-1. The Washington game a couple Thursday nights ago, that was a disgrace. Losing this game to the Falcons, a defense that got torched by Jalen Hurts and the Eagles. And I get it's Tom Brady, but the Buccaneers lit up the Falcons. And the Giants' offense just couldn't really do anything. Barkley had a rushing touchdown. But only being able to put up 14 points, 14 against this version of the Atlanta Falcons, that's a problem. And I think the Giants, considering John Mara getting booed, this might be rock bottom. I may just have to blow everything up by the season's end. It's that bad. Takeaway number seven, the New England Patriots and Bill Belichick. Crazy to say I'm starting to get a little bit concerned about New England. And I understand the New Orleans Saints, Sean Payton, Alvin Kamara, Jameis Winston, they're not a bad team by any means, but Bill Belichick should be winning home games in September against the Saints and the Dolphins. And I'm not saying that Bill Belichick is done. I just think that when you combine the fact that Tom Brady is no longer his quarterback, and look, the... Before you say anything, the narrative that it was all Tom Brady and he was the reason why the Patriots were winning these Super Bowls and not Bill, Bill Belichick, like, that's nonsense. Bill Belichick made Tom Brady. Oh, I'm saying is, has Bill Belichick lost a step or two? I just feel like every time I watch the Patriots, they make some mistakes that I wouldn't expect a Bill Belichick team to make. And last year, like, was one thing. Cam Newton... He certainly wasn't ready. There has been some conversation about did the Patriots make the wrong decision letting him go. I do think Matt Jones should be starting under center right now for New England. But for a quarterback that was drafted in the first round, I get his football IQ is very high and he'll make all the right throws. He just hasn't really popped to me yet. And especially people talk about 
all of the money the Patriots spent this offseason and in how it was going to be better. Nelson Aguilar, Jonu Smith, Hunter Henry, like those are all right players. But are those guys scaring you? Kendrick Bourne, I get he had a nice touchdown, but are those guys scaring you as a defensive coordinator? Because for me, the answer is no. And the Patriots offense is just very limited right now. There's a reason why I thought Tom Brady made the perfect move going to Tampa Bay. Because the weapons and the situation around him there were perfect. It wasn't, it's not the case there in New England and Matt Jones is struggling with a good offensive line and a good defense. I think the Patriots might be in trouble. Speaking of coaches in trouble, Urban Meyer and the Jaguars. Another crazy game for them as they go down to the Arizona Cardinals. And the crazy thing is, as bad of a coach as Urban Meyer has looked throughout the first couple games of the season, Cliff Kingsbury almost outdid him, especially in the first half, kicking a 68-yard field goal. Look, I get it. Matt Prater is one of the best kickers of our generation. He has made some clutch, record-breaking kicks throughout the course of his career. But as soon as they lined up to go for that 68-yard field goal, I was like, what are we doing here? And then, of course, you know what happened. The Jaguars take it all the way back. Jamal Agnew, 109 freaking yards for the score. Impressive stuff there, but Jacksonville couldn't hold on. It was almost like Arizona was sleepwalking throughout the early portion of the game. And look, there have been plenty of people questioning the Denver Broncos, right? And the start they've gone off to. Arizona is an interesting team because they're 3-0. Kyler Murray is one of the more electric quarterbacks in all of the NFL. But I just still don't know if I can trust this Arizona team. The fact that they play in such a tough NFC West, I don't trust their coach. I don't love their style of play. I'm just not sure if that's going to be able to keep going and keep and stay in Arizona and be able to win them games throughout the majority of the NFL season especially when they're playing in cold weather. And luckily for the Arizona Cardinals, they're going to have a real opportunity next week. Arizona at the Rams in a spot where I think Arizona could show some things because we just spoke about the Rams a little bit earlier and and how high they were coming off and going into this game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm going to be curious to see if Arizona as a team is going to be able to take advantage of that opportunity. Excuse me. Takeaway number nine. You guys know if you've listened to this show, I haven't been the biggest supporter of the Dallas Cowboys. I was a little bit hesitant on their decision to pay Dak Prescott $40 million coming off of an injury when even pre-injury, like I thought he was good, but I've always thought Dak was somewhere between the 8th to 12th best quarterback in the NFL, and he has a really good supporting cast around him, and that's what has made him so good. But I'm not going to lie. The Cowboys just abused the Eagles last night. That game was never particularly close, and I feel embarrassed because I remember tweeting, I would say throughout, I would say midway through the game in Week 2 against San Francisco, I was like, wow, I actually like Nick Seriani as a head coach. I like the vibes that he's given off this Philadelphia Eagle team, but then... You see him wearing the Beat Dallas shirt throughout practice this week. The Cowboys Twitter account obviously trolled the Eagles for that. And the Eagles game plan was just terrible. Jalen Hurts is a good quarterback. I think he could be. But that's not a guy you're going to win with when he's throwing the ball uncontrollably 
all over the field. I think once the Eagles established that as their game plan, it fell right where the Cowboys wanted them to be. The Cowboys' offense was just better. Dallas's defense looks much improved, and trust me, I clowned the Dan Quinn hire as much as anyone. I said the Cowboys were one of the worst defenses in the league last year, and you're seriously going to hire Dan Quinn, Mr. 28-3, as the guy to fix it? But hey, Trevon Diggs looks like a legit superstar. Micah Parsons, a guy who was drafted as a middle linebacker, is out here rushing the passer and doing it effectively, especially against a guy like Lane Johnson, who is very respected around the league. I'm a huge fan of his, and I think really the only thing in the Cowboys' way is Mike McCarthy and his horrific clock management, like we saw uh, towards the back end of the first half last night when he just refused to use his timeouts. I really don't know what that was. That was just absolutely embarrassing. But a good win for Dallas, and there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to win the NFC East. The final takeaway, the Green Bay Packers really thought that it would be best for their team to replace the quarterback, number 12, who went out there on Sunday Night Football with 37 seconds left and made a couple of not only good throws, but these were just ridiculous throws to Devontae Adams to give the Packers a shot to win the game. A Mason Crosby 51-yard field goal goes through, and the Packers are able to find a way to beat the 49ers. There are just very few quarterbacks in the league that could do what Aaron Rodgers did in those 37 seconds. And really, this would have been a bad loss for the Packers because they came to play. I was impressed with Green Bay's physicality throughout the early portion of the game. I think their offensive line played well, and especially when you consider that the Packers' defense didn't look great throughout their first two games of the season. Their offensive line wasn't ideal as well. This was the first time in a while where I remember the Packers on the trenches, on both sides of the ball, really coming to play, and I was impressed that they were able to get the job done in a tough road environment where historically, they just have not really been able to play well. You think that Jimmy Garoppolo leads the 49ers down the field to give them a touchdown and the lead with 37 seconds left, but that bad man was able to find a way for the Green Bay Packers, and this was a huge win for Green Bay. They look like the best team in the NFC North right now. You like Matt LaFleur as a head coach. We're actually going to get into this game a little bit later on the podcast and what exactly it meant for San Francisco and their chances going forward. But Aaron Rodgers is just a special talent. Not many quarterbacks could make the throws that he is always, time in and time out, able to make. And once again, how funny is it the Packers really thought that the best move for their team going forward was to replace number 12, the guy who made those clutch throws, with Jordan Frickin' love moving on to the next segment of today's show i wanted to talk about the los angeles rams and their victory over the tampa bay buccaneers on sunday in week three the rams ended up getting the win by a final score of 34 to 24 and to be honest with you guys while watching this game it didn't really seem it was that close that's how impressive of an effort this was for the rams and I thought this going into the game, and it was even confirmed throughout the game, this could have been the biggest game of Matthew Stafford's career. And I totally understand that even though the Detroit Lions are an absolute dumpster fire and there was a reason why he left, there's a reason why every time you watch Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay, they both look so energized. It's part of the reason why, and we're going to get into this in a little later, 
uh, why the fit was so good for both of these parties and why I think the Rams are legitimately good and have a legit chance to win the Super Bowl. This game was so important for Matthew Stafford. And I think you could even make the argument it was even more important for him than the couple playoff games he played in Detroit. He didn't win those games. The Lions, even though they were able to make the playoffs, they never had a chance to do anything really while Matthew Stafford was there. And just given the circumstances, right, the fact that SoFi Stadium, this is the first year with fans in that building, and really... The Rams in Los Angeles, I get it. This is now their fifth year there, and they had some years in Los Angeles prior to when they moved to St. Louis, but this really felt like a big-time atmosphere in a big-time game in that new stadium, which, by the way, looks ridiculously sick on TV. If you listen to this show, you guys know I'm from New York. I'm from the East Coast. Obviously, haven't made my way out to Los Angeles, California yet in SoFi Stadium. And we're even going to get to the Chiefs Chargers game in a little bit. I get that game was at Arrowhead, but it is a great time to be a fan of Los Angeles football. And I was just so impressed how against a really good Tampa Bay Buccaneer team, right? We saw Tampa Bay, especially on the offensive side of the ball, play so well throughout the first two games of the season. Tom Brady was slinging the ball all over the field. His arm strength looked better than ever. There were plenty of people saying that Brady looks better at age 44 than 24, including me. The first two weeks of the season, he was looking great. And the Rams' defense really came to play, only holding Tampa Bay to 24 points. And just watching these two teams, spot aside, I think that there are very few teams that could have went into Los Angeles and beaten the Rams on Sunday. If I'm a Buccaneer fan, I'm not totally, totally worried after this loss. I just think the Rams played so well. There were very few teams that could have beaten them in week three at SoFi Stadium, because the game, it just meant so much to them. Sean McVay has done a phenomenal job since he's became the head coach of the Los Angeles Rams. This is a Ram team. Keep in mind, when Jeff Fisher was the head coach, you guys remember their first season in Los Angeles with Fisher? I believe that's 2016. When Jared Goff was a rookie, they were on hard knocks and they were legit terrible. I think we could all agree if Jeff Fisher was the Rams coach for a couple more years, there's a good chance Jared Goff could be out of the NFL right now, and he definitely wouldn't have made it as far as he did in Los Angeles. And we know the narrative that surrounds Matthew Stafford, right? This guy has always been an elite talent. He has great arm strength, and there is a reason why coming out of Georgia in the 2009 NFL draft, he was the number one pick that Lion fans were so excited about after their team finished 0-16, probably the worst NFL season in recent memory. Obviously, the Browns followed that up a couple years later, but we all know. Point is, that Lion team was just not good. And Matthew Stafford, uh, he's always had the talent, but unfortunately, I believe due to the circumstances around him, the Lions were never really able to go to the next level. And you combine that with the Los Angeles Rams. And I do think last year, Sean McVay 
that was one of the better coaching jobs of his career. And I totally understand the Rams. Yeah, they won a playoff game, but the season ended with some disappointment in that uh, playoff loss at Lambeau Field to the Green Bay Packers. But I just remember watching that game, right? And watching many Ram games throughout last season and just thinking to myself, this team is legitimately a quarterback away. Last year, the Rams had the best defense in football. And part of the reason why was because there are very few defenses that have two guys that impact the game as much as Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey do. When you're an offensive coordinator game planning for the Rams defense, you literally have to say to yourself, okay, I'm really not trying to run the ball anywhere near Aaron Donald. And luckily the Buccaneers offensive line is decent, but if you have any weakness on your offensive line, you have to make sure that Aaron Donald doesn't take advantage of that or else you're in big, big trouble. Look at the Browns-Bears game the other day. Chicago out here putting 39-year-old Jason Peters on uh, Miles Garrett, and I totally understand at one point in his career, Jason Peters was a Hall of Famer, but you know at age 39, uh, and he is a Hall of Famer, He at one point in his career, Jason Peters used to be one of the best tackles in the NFL. He was a special talent, but now he clearly just doesn't have it, and Miles Garrett lit him up. That's kind of the thing you have to do when you're facing off against the Rams. Uh in preparation for Aaron Donald. Jalen Ramsey has the ability to take some of the best wide receivers out of the game. And by the way, look at how Jacksonville has done trying to replace Jalen Ramsey. I totally understand his attitude isn't ideal. And there were a lot of people that were questioning the Rams at the time when they made that pick, giving up two first rounders for Jalen Ramsey. But one thing I'll say about not only Sean McVay, but I'll throw this over to Wes Snead as well. Ever since this regime has taken over, the combination of McVay and Les Snead, they've been so aggressive. And Stan Kroenke, their owner, has a lot to do with it also. The Rams, I believe, realize that we're moving to Los Angeles. And in Los Angeles, there are so many things to do and so many sport teams between the Lakers and USC and UCLA and the Dodgers. There are just so many things to do and... The Chargers even kind of learned this throughout their first couple years in LA. I think the Rams could say the same as well. You need to stand out. When you're playing in a place like Los Angeles, even with this brand new stadium that is very nice, and I'm sure a lot of people want to go visit, but we saw in week two how all of the Dallas Cowboy fans really took over that Rams Rams Chargers stadium in Los Angeles. Like You still need to be popular and you still need star power you need to be an attractive asset to the city like Los Angeles where people want to go to and that is exactly what Sean McVay and West Need have done by de- by being super aggressive there were plenty of people that said when the Rams traded for Aaron Donald and even when McVay first br- uh, came in there they brought in all of the all-stars you know Nadamik and Sue Akib Talib they had Todd Gurley they had they brought in Andrew Whitworth like there were so many assets to the Rams and people were asking is this a top heavy team Sean McVay he legitimately doesn't care about first round picks he thinks that adding a star player in exchange for a first round pick is the way to go and not gonna lie it seemed like he's made the right decision in a lot of these instances just based on the results. It's very hard to draft and develop players that are as good as Jalen Ramsey and even Matthew Stafford. Sean McVay was such a good coach that he got Jared Goff to the Super Bowl. And not only that, he was a consistent winner 
with Jared Goff as his quarterback. The, the Rams missed the playoffs one year in 2019, and even when they missed the playoffs, it's not like they were a bad team. They've still finished above 500. But it was clear, watching this Rams team last year, as I mentioned earlier, they were a quarterback away. And it's hard sometimes. There were plenty of people that said, okay, Matthew Stafford is good, but the difference between him and Jared Goff just isn't worth giving up multiple first-round picks for, like the Rams did. And I disagreed with that because it's a clear talent differential when you just watch Jared Goff compared to Matthew Stafford. Stafford is just better. He has bigger arm strength. And Sean McVay even said it after the week one game against the Bears. Uh, Matthew Stafford just expands the Rams playbook so much. And when you're a defensive coordinator, there are plenty of things that Matthew Stafford could do that you just have to prepare for. And if Jared Goff was under center, you just wouldn't have had to do the same. That's how uh, versatile Stafford is, how strong his arm strength, and he just knows the game of football, and I think he fits this Rams team like a puzzle piece, and when you combine that with the receivers, Cooper Cup, this is a guy who coming out of high school had zero stars, I saw that in a tweet uh, the other day, he was not heavily recruited at all coming out of high school, he went to Eastern Washington University, and the Rams found him as like a third or fourth round pick, and he is one of the best receivers in the NFL, he is is a bowler. Not to mention, the Rams lost Cam Akers, who I thought before he got hurt was going to be a key piece to this Rams team. Historically, under Sean McVay, the Rams have really needed a running game in order for this offense to be as dynamic as it has been. And with a quarterback like Matthew Stafford, maybe that's just not the case anymore. I've always said this about Jared Goff. He's a fine quarterback, when everything goes well for him, when he has a good head coach, when he has a good offensive line, when he has a good running game, you could win with him when you have all the elements around him. But when you're the Rams and you're just a top heavy team, when yeah, you have a lot of good talented players, but one of those guys has to be the quarterback or else you're just wasting your time. And I think Sean McVay realized that Matthew Stafford would just be a perfect fit. And I'm not going to lie. I do think right now, the Rams are the best team in the NFL. I love the way this team just fits together so naturally between the quarterback who is really good, between the head coach who is really good, their weapons, their defense. And it's crazy because they lost Brandon Staley, their defensive coordinator, who's now the head coach of the Chargers. They lost guys like uh, Johnson and Hill to Cleveland, too. I'm not going to lie. I thought those could have been big losses. And yeah, the Rams defense hasn't been perfect, but it's the NFL in 2021. You just need to give up less points than your offense scores. And the way this Rams offense is playing right now, this is just going to be a hard team to beat because on defense, yeah, they're not going to shut everyone out every week, but they still have Donald and Ramsey and they are still so hard to game plan and prepare for. And they blew out really. I, I know the final score was 34-24. The Buccaneers are a really good team and they have their concerns of their own. I think McVay did such a good job realizing that the Rams were going to have to be able to beat Tampa Bay's pressure in order to exploit the weaknesses that were going on in Tampa Bay's secondary. Today, Richard Sherman is actually meeting with uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's how banged up they are at corner between Murphy Bunting and Jamel Dean. And the Rams 
did a good job of exploiting that weakness of Tampa Bay. That's how smart of a staff they are. And Matthew Stafford and the Rams, to me right now, look like they are the best team in the NFL. I've been so impressed with what I've seen so far. Sean McVay is a genius. I feel like he doesn't earn enough credit based on everything that he has done as a head coach since he's gotten into the league. He has changed a lot of things in coaching. How many guys who have either been on his staff or just run somewhat of a similar offensive scheme like McVay have gotten head coaching jobs between Zach Taylor, between Brandon Staley, even Kyle Shanahan and Matt LaFleur. They all kind of run that quick, fast-paced offense. And I've been really impressed with just how good Sean McVay has been since he's entered the league. They drafted a couple years ago a young receiver in Van Jefferson who is only getting better. They lost Akers. Even Daryl Henderson didn't even play in this game. And Sony Michelle, the guy they brought in from New England, a former first-round pick, they hope that he's going to be able to establish himself in the running game as well. Tyler Higby is a good tight end. Andrew Whitworth is older than Sean McVay by a significant amount. He's still bowing out at left tackle. This Rams team has a lot of high-end, top-notch talent. And not only the way they beat the Bucs, but the way they absolutely handled the Bucs. There was never really a second where I thought the Rams were going to lose that game on Sunday. They deserve so much credit. And right now, I do think the Los Angeles Rams are the best team in the NFL. Let's talk about the game between the Los Angeles Chargers and the Kansas City Chiefs. And this one was a big game. At Arrowhead Stadium, the Chiefs were coming off a loss on Sunday Night Football to the Ravens. And one thing about Kansas City that's interesting here, right, is this is a team that since Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid have gotten there together, they have won games. All they do is win games, especially in the regular season. And a consistent trend is they've won games against their divisional foes. They have dominated the Chargers, Broncos, and Raiders over the last couple years. But one of the surprise storylines to many throughout the start of this 2021 NFL season is just how good some of the teams in the AFC West are not named Kansas City. We know the Raiders have gotten off to a 3-0 start. The Broncos, I totally understand that their opponents have a combined record of 0-9, but for the most part, they've won all three of those games pretty comfortably. You look at the Chargers, I totally understand they didn't make the playoffs last year, but they fired Anthony Lynn, brought in a guy which I think is a big-time improvement in Brandon Staley. Justin Herbert looks like he's only getting better, and the pure talent on the Chargers, as we saw on Sunday, is really good, and it's good enough to beat Kansas City. We saw Justin Herbert in his first NFL game last year on 10 minutes notice almost beat the Kansas City Chiefs. But Kansas City has been a team that has always been able to win games in the regular season. And now that in week two and three of this season, they lose to Baltimore. And I totally understand. Like, that's a game they should have won if Clyde Edwards-Alaire doesn't fumble the ball and Harrison Butker makes that kick. Yeah, Kansas City could easily have won that game. And then this game against the Chargers, Kansas City turned the ball over a couple times in the first half. 
in the Chargers territory, which I think ultimately cost them in this game. Props to the Chargers. Props to uh, Brandon Staley for being aggressive. That fourth and sixth play call for the touchdown to Mike Williams is really a play that I don't think Anthony Lynn would have ever considered going for last year. And that just shows that Brandon Staley is just a big coaching improvement over Anthony Lynn. And I think he's done a pretty good job with the Chargers, especially being able to win this game Coming off of that devastating loss to the Dallas Cowboys in week two, where, quite frankly, they really only lost that game because of penalties. There were just so many brutal penalties in terms of timing and just penalties that occurred at the worst possible time in the game. And the Chargers were able to go into Arrowhead Stadium. And the crazy thing is, they didn't even play a perfect game themselves. They had a couple touchdowns taken off the board due to illegal shifts and other brutal penalties, and still they were able to find a way to win. And that's why I think there are some Kansas City Chief fans that are a little concerned that the Chiefs weren't able to take advantage of the Chargers' mistakes, really because Kansas City out here was making mistakes of their own. Patrick Mahomes on that interception sailed over Travis Kelsey's head in the fourth quarter when the Chiefs really had an opportunity to go out there and win the game with a two-minute drive. That failed. The throw, no look from Patrick Mahomes to Tony Kemp. That cost, or Marcus Kemp, Tony Kemp, the baseball player, that cost Kansas City in this game. And there are plenty of Chief fans right now, I'm not going to lie, that are panicking. They're looking at the AFC West standings. They see the Raiders here at 3-0. They see the Broncos here at 3-0. And now they even see the Chargers here with the record of 2-1 after they were able to go into Arrowhead Stadium and get the win. And the question on the table is this. Should Chief fans be panicking right now? And I'm here to tell you, if Kansas City's defense doesn't get at least a little bit better, it's going to be hard for them to win football games. Because in this game against the Chargers, there were so many times where Kansas City's defense just could have made a big play to at least give the offense some help, and they weren't able to do that. On the other hand, the Chiefs' offense needs to be better, and they need to stop turning the ball over. And I think that's the main point I want to get to here, is that Kansas City, as bad as they've played for their own standards within the first two or the last two games, and really you could say the first three games, Kansas City was able to pull out the week one win against Cleveland, but the Browns did have many opportunities themselves to go out there and win the game. However, Kansas City, they did a lot of similar things that they were able to do last year in close games, just find a way because they had Patrick Mahomes. If you're a Chief fan, you are also aware your team brought in Josh Gordon. I really think that's a big move, and I totally understand it is one of those low-risk, high-reward type moves. You really can't expect anything from Josh Gordon based on his career track record, he had that one really good season in 2013 where he was looking like a guy who could be in pace for stardom in the NFL. He's just such a physically gifted football player, and he showed flashes over the past couple of years in Cleveland and New England and Seattle, but he hasn't really been able to just consistently get on the field, and I do think uh, I do hope from a mental perspective that he's going to be okay locked in on football and that he could stay in the league without any more off the field issues, but I think that was a move that had to be made for Kansas City. Right now, if you're a defensive coordinator and you're scheming against Kansas City, 
you obviously have to look out for Tyreek Hill. And I think part of why the Ravens did such a good job to win that game was because they limited him and Mahomes didn't really have any choice to throw to him. Travis Kelsey is an elite tight end, but really besides those two guys, there's no one really in the Kansas City offense that scares you. Mikko Hardman is fast, but he hasn't necessarily made the impact that a second round wide receiver should be making. I like Jody Fortson, who had a nice uh, touchdown in this game against the Chargers, a big body. Noah Gray, even Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who looked really good in this game. And that's the crazy thing. And I think this is actually a good sign going forward if you're the Kansas City Chiefs. Clyde Edwards-Alaire fumbled in that game against Baltimore, and you could definitely make the argument that he cost Kansas City that game. He had a brutal fumble in this game against the Chargers that definitely cost Kansas City points, and maybe he cost them the game there as well. But besides those two fumbles, he's actually been running the ball pretty well, and you guys know how I feel about taking running backs in the first round and also paying running backs going forward. I just think it's a position where due to the amount of depth it has amongst the league, it isn't necessarily the smartest thing to invest long term by either drafting or paying your running back just because the life is low uh, compared to most positions. Most running backs aren't going to be their elite selves for a good four or five year stretch unless you're Derrick Henry. It's almost like pitchers in Major League Baseball. There are very few pitchers unless your name Max Scherzer, a Missouri native, by the way, that you pay and you see him produce to an elite level for all six, seven years of a long-term deal. And I think it's kind of the same thing when it comes to running backs. But Clyde Edwards-Alaire, besides those two fumbles, he's looked decent. However, Kansas City just needs to take a deep breath and get back to playing their football. And I think they'll be fine. When I say their football, this is what I mean. Patrick Mahomes, he has every reason when he's on the field, to have confidence in his ability. We have seen very few players enter the NFL right away and just be able to make the game as easy as he's been able to make it look throughout his career. Really, it's what has been so impressive is ever since Mahomes has entered the league, and I get it, he had one year off. He started that Week 17 game against Denver his first year. But ever since he became the full-time chief starting quarterback at the beginning of the 2018 season, he's just immediately popped off the screen. And as great of a player as he is, like he's even had his struggles in the Super Bowl. He's played eight quarters, and he hasn't been great for seven of them. That's how hard it is to win in this league. And Mahomes... He made some uncharacteristic mistakes in this game. He had a bad interception in that Raven game. So if I'm Andy Reid, I'm just saying to him, look, you, we know that you're confident in your abilities, but take a deep breath, start by making all of the simple throws, and then just be more careful with the football. You have to value the football as great and as dynamic as a player you are. You can't just be chucking no-look passes to Marcus Kemp. You can't be turning the ball over at the worst possible times. And it's really just an overall message to the Chiefs offense. However, it's not like the Chargers shut down the Chiefs offense in this game. The Chiefs offense, besides the turnovers, they were moving the ball fine. The issue is Kansas City's defense is a train wreck right now. And look, I'm not expecting this defense to be one of the five best units in the NFL, but I expect them at the very worst to be what they've been the last two years. Brett Veach, and look, as a general manager, I 
absolutely think that he deserves some criticism with the McCall Hardman pick. Like I mentioned, uh, some of the signing he's made, like Frank Clark has been a good chief. He was very important to that Super Bowl run. I do believe if he isn't on the team in 2019, Kansas City eventually doesn't end up lifting the Lombardi Trophy. However, this year and last year, he hasn't been good and he can't even get on the field. That's a problem. Uh, the Chiefs have just invested so much money into this defense and have invested high draft picks within this defense for it to be playing this bad. I'm a fan of Juan Thornhill. I loved what he was able to do throughout the first year and change of his NFL career. He obviously suffered a devastating injury, but he is really nowhere to be found. The Chiefs right now are still relying on Daniel Sorensen, Ben Neiman, guys like that who... They're fine players, but Kansas City drafted other high, more high-volume players to take their spot, and that hasn't happened. And in this game against the Chargers, I think the Chargers showed they can match up with Kansas City in terms of depth and top-notch talent. There are very few teams that have as good of a core group of players like Justin Herbert and Keenan Allen. Mike Williams, I'd even throw into that conversation. Eckler, even Rashawn Slater, the rookie left tackle on the offensive side of the ball. And then you go to defense, Joey Bosa. I know Derwin James got hurt in this game, but he's really good. Asante Samuel Jr. You guys have seen him. He looks like he is going to be a big-time player in this league. And Kansas City, I totally understand that. I picked them to win the Super Bowl before the start of the season, and appropriately so. Kansas City has won the AFC the last two years, and Tom Brady, he's not in this AFC conference anymore. So going into the season, the question a lot of people had was, is Kansas City, not only is Kansas City the clear team to beat in the AFC, but mainly, who is their biggest threat? And right now, I still think Kansas City is the best team in the AFC. I, I do believe that. I think that the turnovers Mahomes has had over the past couple games have been super frustrating, although I don't expect them to happen this often, especially to an offense this good. And we saw what the Philadelphia Eagles did on Monday Night Football against the Dallas Cowboys, and I have a tough time thinking that they're going to play worse than that at many points this season just because the Philadelphia Eagles and their game plan on Monday Night Football was that bad against Dallas. However, Kansas City's coming to town next week, and that is a game Kansas City should win. It's a game where Andy Reid will be coaching against his former team. It's going to be his second time back in Philadelphia. Since he's gotten to Kansas City, Reid is 2-0 in his career against the Eagles, and I do expect this to be a get-right game for Kansas City. However, their defense just has to be better. I'm not expecting their defense to be the best unit in the NFL, but they need to be better than what they've been over the first three weeks of the season. And really, it's given me vibes to that 2018 Chiefs defense who couldn't uh, beat Tom Brady or let him get off the field in that AFC Championship game. If you're a Chief fan, I know you are still having nightmares about that one. But Mahomes, man, we'll see what he has in store. There are plenty of people saying, and I don't think this is a crazy take, that right now, Justin Herbert looks like the better quarterback. He's phenomenal. What he's doing with the Chargers just shows you how impressive uh, his first year has been. You also look around the league at some of the other rookie quarterbacks, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence. Like They've obviously really been struggling. So you got to give credit to Justin Herbert and how easy 
the adjustment he's been able to make to the league has been, I've been so impressed uh, with the Chargers and Kansas City. I'm not panicking. I do still think, by the way, the Chiefs and the Chargers are the two best teams in the AFC West. Right now, if I were to predict it, I do think Kansas City wins the division. I do think the Chargers are a playoff team as a wild card. And then we'll see what happens with Denver and the Raiders. I think right now I would give the Raiders the slight edge just because of the quarterback position. And I haven't seen Denver beat really that many good teams yet. But at the same time, Denver at home against Baltimore next week will have a good opportunity to do so. So if you're a Chief fan, I don't think it's necessarily time to panic. However, there are some thoughts of concern just because your defense has to play better and your offense, although it's good, has to play smarter. So I wanted to end today's show going a little bit into deeper detail regarding the Sunday Night Football game, the Green Bay Packers, and their walk-off win over the San Francisco 49ers. If you missed it, Mason Crosby hits a field goal from 51 yards at the buzzer to give Green Bay a win. It was a back-and-forth game. And in terms of Green Bay, I'll say this quickly. I give them credit. The Packers showed up in week one against the Saints, and they were sleepwalking. They really didn't even show up. It didn't look like they were even remotely interested in playing football because that game was really over from the start. And you heard the rumblings, right? Is Aaron Rodgers and everything that he did uh, regarding his off-the-field stances in the offseason, was that a distraction for the Green Bay Packers? And would they ever be able to recover from that? And I think number 12 did a really good job of showing you on Sunday Night Football that when you put the ball in his hands in a clutch situation, along with Devontae Adams, who I, I don't know how he was that wide open on those gains on the final uh, drive of the game for Green Bay to set up the Crosby field goal. He is, in my opinion, the best wide receiver in football, and he's only getting better. The Rodgers to Adams situ- uh, combination is one that Green Bay Packer fans will never forget. He is an elite wide receiver, but props to Green Bay. They didn't play great in their Week 2 matchup against Detroit. I was just really impressed with how much toughness and physicality Green Bay was able to show us in this game, really taking advantage of both lines of scrimmage and their defensive coordinator, Joe Barry, who I admit after week two, I was like, is this guy just Mike Pettin 2.0? The Packers defense seems soft, but even without Big Z, Zadarius Smith led by Jair Alexander and um, Kenny Clark, Rashawn Gary played well. The Packers were able to find a way to get the job done and win this game. Going to the 49ers, though, a couple things I wanted to say. Number one, I think Jimmy Garoppolo is good enough to be a valid, good starting quarterback in the league. But I think we've seen enough from Jimmy Garoppolo over the course of his career where it's gotten to the point now where we kind of know what he is. And the guy I would compare him to is almost like Kirk Cousins. I would think Kirk Cousins is a little bit better than Jimmy Garoppolo because Jimmy Garoppolo is just a guy. He's a fine quarterback, and we saw that in the perfect situation around Jimmy G, the 49ers could succeed. We saw that a couple years ago with the Super Bowl team, and the arguments have been made if Jimmy Garoppolo could have just only completed that throw to Emmanuel Sanders, the 49ers win the Super Bowl. And you could look at it that way, but at the same time, I don't put that Super Bowl loss on Jimmy Garoppolo. I just think there was really nothing the 49ers could have done in that game because one team had Patrick Mahomes, the other team didn't. And the 49ers sent a message 
to the rest of the NFL this past spring during the draft when they decided to take Trey Lance. Because even though the 49ers, uh, they didn't have a great season last year, but we know what happened. No team in the NFL last year was affected more by COVID and injuries than the San Francisco 49er team. And the ironic thing is, early on in this season, especially when it comes to their running backs, they've been really injured as well. Between the loss of Elijah Mitchell and Raheem Mostert, the 49ers were really only relying on Trey Sermon last night, and he didn't look great. I understand he scored a touchdown, but I think the 49ers were a little bit frustrated with the fact that Sermon just didn't look great, and in order for this offense to be running at full efficiency, they need a good running game. And Trey Sermon, the rookie from Ohio State, they drafted him in the second round. He wasn't able to provide that. And I think the 49ers are going to need him to be a little bit better going forward. He was benched and inactive in that week one game against the Detroit Lions. That was really just a red flag uh, with his game, in my opinion, from the beginning. But the 49ers... I think they need to start Trey Lance at quarterback. And by no means did Jimmy Garoppolo play terrible in this game. He made the big touchdown pass to give the 49ers the lead. And with 37 seconds, it was looking like Jimmy Garoppolo was going to be the guy who Michelle Tafoya would be interviewing in the post-game interview for the winning team. I was impressed with Jimmy Garoppolo's poise and patience and the ability to make all the nice throws on that drive. However, I just think... Trey Lance provides a bigger threat to opposing defenses right now than Jimmy Garoppolo. You guys saw in the little package that he came in fourth and goal from the one yard line. It was a situation where the 49ers needed a touchdown and just his threat of being on the field really gave the Packers a little bit of doubts and Trent Williams just absolutely leveled the defender. Trey Lance takes it in for the touchdown. Even uh, earlier or later in the game, he had a play with Kyle Juszczyk where Trey Lance is in the game. The whole defense is expecting for him to take the snap and run it for a gain. But Kyle Juszczyk, one of the more underrated, helpful players in the league, just comes out of legit nowhere, takes the snap, and San Francisco gets the first down. Just the threat right there. I think that plays a perfect example. Just that threat of having a versatile runner like Trey Lance on the field, in my opinion, is a difference maker. And if Trey Lance isn't ready... I think it's really one of the main reasons why San Francisco throughout this offseason was really aggressive in terms of possibly getting a veteran starting quarterback because Jimmy G is fine. Uh, I think you could win games with him against bad teams like the 49ers did in week one in week two. But in the big games on third and eight, when you need your quarterback to make a big time play, is Jimmy Garoppolo going to be able to do that more times than not? And I get it. He made some nice throws and made some clutch throws on that last possession of this game. However, given his history and given everything that we have seen from Jimmy Garoppolo throughout his career, I just think we know what he is. He's just a guy. He is an average level starting quarterback in the NFL in 2021. And I actually think the 49ers, if they want to realize and hit the ceiling and the potential of this team, they might just be best letting Trey Lance take his growing pains if he has any now 
and just be the guy going forward. Because even though the 49ers are 2-1, and one, I just think that the fan base, you saw in the stadium when Trey Lance was getting his a uh, handful of snaps, they believe in this guy, and they think that he's just a bigger threat to opposing defenses than, than Jimmy G, just his presence alone. And we've spoken a lot on this podcast throughout the first couple weeks of the NFL season in the sense that when it comes to the young quarterbacks, I totally understand. They have to be ready to go and ready to play if they are being sent out there under fire. And the situation has a lot to do with it. Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, they never had a shot to play well this past week because the coaching and the game plan and just the overall situation around them was that bad. Look at Trey Lance. I understand Kyle Shanahan has his doubters right now and throughout the first couple of years he's been a coach. He was not great in that Super Bowl, the 28-3 debacle against the Atlanta Falcons. His play calling, or against the Patriots when he was coaching the Atlanta Falcons. His play calling wasn't necessarily ideal uh, in the game against the Chiefs. I mean, I don't think he was the reason why San Francisco lost. Once again, having Mahomes on the other sideline was just that much of a difference maker. But Kyle Shanahan has his doubters and his critics as a head coach. And him... Going with Jimmy Garoppolo to start the season, I understood it. Every report I saw at a 49ers camp said that when you just look at these two quarterbacks, Trey Lance is bigger, he's faster, he has the stronger arm, and even though Jimmy G is just more experienced within the offense and he has done a lot for this 49ers team, I just think he's an average quarterback at this point in his career. And the 49ers roster, outside of the quarterback uh, position, in my opinion, might just be good enough to go back to the Super Bowl. Kittle, Samuel, Ayuk, Trent Williams on that offensive line, Nick Bosa, Fred Warner. And by the way, Fred Warner, one of the better coverage linebackers in the league. I still cannot get over that throw Aaron Rodgers made on Devontae Adams, just putting it on a dime over the head of Fred Warner and Green Bay. We know what happened. Crosby ends up kicking the game-winning field goal. But I do think Trey Lance should be the starting quarterback in San Francisco right now. And I do think Jimmy G next year, when the 49ers do let him go, I feel like that's what the plan should be when you draft a quarterback in the top five. He could start for a team like the Steelers or a Washington football team type, a team that just needs a veteran quarterback. I just think that the dynamic of Trey Lance is very hard for teams to defend given his possible threat of running the football combined with the amount of threats San Francisco really has all over the field uh, as an offense. And it's going to be curious. It's going to be interesting for me to see what they go and what they do at the quarterback position going forward. Because look, Trey Lance, even if he's not the starting quarterback, I don't understand why he's only having two snaps. If Kyle Shanahan really thinks he isn't ready to start, fine, but the 49ers could definitely use Trey more often than they do. He played three snaps in the Sunday night football loss to the Packers, and to me, it became evident, really for the second week in a row, that just having that threat of a playmaker is really helpful and could make the 49ers a much bigger threat. And once again, Jimmy hasn't been terrible. His mistakes are magnified a little bit because of the microscope he's put under. I get it. I feel like a lot of 49er fans haven't really been that big a fan of this guy really ever since the Super Bowl. But at the same time, he's a quarterback that could win games. I get it. Just situation is everything. The Jets last season, when they were had Adam Gaze as their head coach, this is from uh, Niners Wire. So 
They had the NFL's worst yards per play average at 4.7. And the 49ers in their last two games are averaging 4.5. Trey Lance only played three snaps against the Packers. And as I mentioned earlier, both snaps that he played ended up being useful plays and ended up uh, helping the uh, San Francisco 49ers score points in this game. And the 49ers early in this game... Under the direction of Jimmy Garoppolo, they look kind of lost. Every possession, I feel like the Packers and Aaron Rodgers, every throw was just so easy, right? It was just zoom, zoom. Every throw was on the money in the proper place, and it didn't really look like the Packers were working that hard in order to get just your simple 10-yard gain. You look at the 49ers on the other side, it was just crazy. They were working so hard, and it really looked complicated and difficult for them to be able to pick up first-down conversions. It's clear that Trey Lance is talented, and his decision-making so far this season has been really good. He has been impressive in the couple times he's been out there on the field. I just think that in this situation, you should let this kid ride out his growing pains, and we saw what Justin Herbert did with the Chargers last year. I would compare that situation to San Francisco just from a weapon perspective, and I do trust Kyle Shanahan significantly more as a head coach than I do Anthony Lynn. The Niners have weapons on this team. They have a young quarterback that could really raise the ceiling of this team, and in 2022, not everyone is Patrick Mahomes. I don't understand how not playing him much at all this season is going to help his development going forward. I really don't, and I think that going forward for this Green Bay Packer team in the future, Trey Lance, or for the 49ers team in the future, I should say, Trey Lance should be the starting quarterback in San Fran. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Zach Kroll Sports Podcast. Episodes will drop multiple times a week as we go over all the most interesting storylines in all of sports. Look forward to talking some football, some college basketball, everything in between. And there is just nothing better than talking sports with you guys on this show. Thanks for listening once again. If you want to get in contact with me, the Instagram, Z-A-C underscore K-R-U-L-L, Twitter at Z-K-R-U-L-L-3, YouTube, Z-A-C-H-A-R-Y-K-R-U-L-L. This was the Zach Kroll Sports Podcast. Everyone have a good one.